And so I want to encourage you to come and be a part of it. And then I'm excited on the 14th in the morning, we're going to start our uh, tapestry series. Uh, and that'll be our Fave Five Day. But we want to kick off a whole series on Sunday mornings where we talk about Jeremiah 29, 11, where it says, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans of good and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. The word plans is a Hebrew word. I know what I interweave. It's God's not, God's saying, I interweave things into your life. I know what I've interweaved to create amazing future and amazing hope. And I want you to see how God wraps things with his grace and love and mercy and, and begin to spot that and, and answer that question, how do I know what God's will is for me? I, I want you to have an answer to how does God take tragedy or, or sadness or even my own failure and turn it for good and and, and, and why does God give us a choice in this? And how does God interact with it? And we saw already in Jonah that God does that. You know, God, I really believe, uh, without actually I know, on purpose chose the most stubborn prophet of all, Jonah, uh, because he knew Jonah would run in the opposite direction and he would end up saving the sailors that he ran to. Then he would have them be swallowed by a, a great fish or a whale. And, and in the stomach, he would be bleached for three days, three days of being digested and bleached. And then a whale or fish would shoot him out onto the shore by vomiting him. And uh, it doesn't say it, but I'm just wondering if some guys from Nineveh weren't sitting on the shore and this guy pops out, you know, and they're like, and they worshiped a fish. That was one of the gods they worship. And now this God guy pops out. He smells like a fish. He's bleached white. He walks into the city and he preaches. And an amazing turn happens. And, and I don't think I'm reading in to say, wow, you know what? God took his rebellion and used that to create more effectiveness. And, and I want you to think that through. As a matter of fact, hopefully you're in Jonah right now with me. And uh, notice what it says here as we dig in. Jonah chapter 3, it says, Now the word of the Lord came a second time, saying... Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and proclaim to it the proclamation that I'm going to tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city at three days' walk. And then Jonah began to go through the city one day's walk and cried out and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. Then the people of Nineveh believed in God, and they called a fast and put on sackcloth and ashes from the greatest of them to the least of them. And when the, word of the Lord, or when the word reached the king of Nineveh, he arose from his throne and laid aside his robe from him and covered himself with sackcloth and sat on ashes. And he issued a proclamation and said, In Nineveh, by decree of the king and his nobles, do not let man, beast, herd, or flock taste a thing. Do not let them eat or drink water. But both man and beast must be covered with sackcloth and let men call on God earnestly that they may turn from his wicked way and from the violent which is in his hands. And who knows, God may turn and relent and withdraw his burning anger so that we will not perish. And notice verse 10. When God saw their deeds, that they turned from their wicked way, then God relented concerning the calamity which he had declared he would bring upon them. And he did not do it. Let's pray. Father, I pray tonight that as we finish up talking about Jonah, that we would grab a, a very clear view of your heart and your desire and, Lord, that your compassion and that, God, while you are a God who looks at evil and knows that there's times to judge, yet you are long-suffering, you are loving, have filled with loving kindness, and you desire, Lord, that every single person would turn and repent and come to you. And I pray tonight, that's our passion, that's our desire. And I pray we would learn even from the wrong attitudes of Jonah. And, and let us be a people, Lord, who just want to be 
the people you want us to be. Grab hold of the message of Jonah. 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Now, this is an amazing thing to me. It's amazing for lots of reasons. One is that the people turn so quickly to God. In one day's preaching, and later on we're going to hear, there was 120,000 people living in this town. It'd be like someone walking into the center of Corona without cell phones or text messaging or, or, or email and speaking the word and saying, you know what, 40 days and God's going to overthrow this city. And all of a sudden the word spreads and people turn and say it could happen and, and we need to call upon God and immediately prayer is going up. And by the way, you need to grab hold. Remember the Ninevites were actually very idolatrous people and they didn't believe in the Hebrew God who is the only true God. And yet in a moment now, uh, uh, a guy from a country they had literally almost annihilated, stands there, says, God's going to judge. And we see this amazing turning happen. Uh, maybe it's the fact of how Jonah looked. Maybe partly is the smell. Maybe someone did see him be cast up. But uh, it really does seem to speak to what God does. God takes all things and works them together for good. In Romans 8, 28, it says, And we know that God causes all things to work together for good for those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose. So God even used Jonah's disobedience for good. The sailors were converted. His stubbornness caused his skin to be bleached. Somehow, someway, God took this and made it for good. And uh, the sad thing is, is we see uh, people like Jonah all the time who uh, don't walk with the love of God. Uh, matter of fact, we're going to see Jonah says, I, he's, matter of fact, look at chapter 4, verse 1. It greatly displeased Jonah and he became angry. Why? Because he hated the Ninevites. He didn't want them to turn. And, and he said, God, I knew you would do. I knew you were a God who saves. I, I didn't want to do. Could you imagine if someone said, I'm just going to go preach in the city of Corona for one day and then everyone will give their life. Would you, would that how you think? He really saw God with the ability to do something more amazing than ever. And he just couldn't stand it. Pam has a friend that um, some years ago uh, was asked by some friends that she worked with they said, would you go into Los Angeles with us and go on an AIDS walk? A walk to raise awareness for HIV and AIDS and a walk to, to call out um, a, a attention on the need to try to do something about the horrific things that are occurring when this disease is traveling in our communities. And, and, and would you go and, and do that? And, and they said, I know you're a Christian. Would you come anyway? And she thought, that's kind of an odd question, isn't it? I know you're a Christian. So would you go and care? And she said, well, I would love to go. So they're on this AIDS walk in downtown Los Angeles and they're moving around and, and the media is covering it like crazy and on this particular one there were lots and lots of people on the walk and she wasn't that far from the front and they come around on a particular street and there's a group of people with big signs that, that say horrible phrases and it basically has the message die and go to hell. And they're screaming and yelling that God hates the people on the walk. And screaming and yelling that God hates, you know, uh, people almost, period. And uh, what happened in the midst of it is just people are, some are yelling back at him. Some are hurt. I, I mean, some people in this walk had had relatives who had died of AIDS. And they're looking at signs that are so degrading and so humiliating. And, and, and Pam's friend, you know, is looking and she's like, oh. And, and all of a sudden, the lady who's standing next to her looked over and said, oh. She goes, I can't believe this. And uh, our friend was so embarrassed. And then the next line came. This lady who, by the way, 
was, was practicing a lifestyle we wouldn't agree with, looked at her and said, I wish more Christians were like you. She could see the difference. And another woman said, you're a Christian? And she said, yeah. And she said, I want you to know what you're watching over here. That's not Christ. And, and she goes, well, I didn't think it was. And, and then when the walk was over, they all sat around and they began to talk to her and say, we're so thankful that you came with us. We're so thankful that you would be a part of this. And, and she just began to share about the love of Jesus. Now, here's my point. Clearly, none of us are for the group that has the signs and screams and yells, hateful things. None of us for that. But you know what? In the midst of that kind of hatred, our friend's love showed in a way that was meaningful. And, uh, you know, I, I want to say I'm amazed how God takes moments like that and, and wraps his will around it and says, do you see this? This is not me. But here, and he showed these women who were standing around, this is me. And, uh, you know, and, and while we would never want that group of people out even close to trying to represent the true cause of Christ, which they obviously don't, um, the reality is, is God is able to take even things like that and turn it for good. It opened a dialogue. It opened a chance to talk. It opened actually deep discussions and why we would say that there's a, a lifestyle change that ought to take place in these women. And, and, and it opened an opportunity to share. And, but yet it was done in love. And, and so, you know, some people's vileness and disobedience allowed a chance for the truth to shine out in a way that couldn't be missed. God uh, used a stubborn prophet in Jonah uh, it's amazing to me that he does. And, and people turn and they repent and, and it gets exciting because I, I don't know if you get into phrases, but I, uh, here's a phrase that hits me what comes out of this book. When the people of Nineveh repented, God relented. So when there was repentance, uh, someone repented, God relented. And, and it says that. It says God stood there not wanting to do this, not wanting to attack, not wanting to judge. And, and, and in one day, you watch 120,000 people move to the point where, where they just all of a sudden, there's this ripple effect, and they just turn and come to God. And, and it's an amazing movement of God. Now, it, it raises some questions in my mind, and so let me go ahead and give you them. Number one, isn't it interesting that, let's take a look at two different prophets. Jeremiah, everybody would agree, was an amazing prophet of God. His words could not have been clearer. He could not have been more faithful to God. He was attacked on multiple occasions. He was dropped into a cistern until mud went up to his knees and left there to die. And by the way, when you catch what that means, a cistern would not have been all that big, but it would have been like a huge pot in the ground. And they opened it up and dropped him in. And he went into this muddy, mushy muck and they covered it up. And he's in this stench. He's in this darkness. It's a claustrophobic nightmare. And, and he stays faithful to God even in that. And God eventually rescues him out and he goes through more pain and more imprisonment and more turmoil and he preaches and preaches and preaches. Now here's the wild thing. As far as we can tell, in all the years of Jeremiah's ministry, there was almost nobody converted. And he was one of the most faithful men ever. Jonah was the worst prophet imaginable. And in one day he leaves 120,000. Now doesn't that, don't you go, well, there's something wrong here. Now, then that, and here's the answer. It's, it's because it's not the man, it's God. It's what God's doing. It's when God gets involved. It's, it's God's touch. And, and God takes even the most broken person or stubborn person and he can use them. But here's the thing. God, when he gets involved, he's the one that creates the effect. And when the people repented, God relented. And in Luke chapter 11, verse 32, it says this. Jesus is talking. 
And he says, the men of Nineveh will stand up with this generation and at judgment and condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Jesus stood before the Pharisees and the other people of Jerusalem and he said, I, I want you to know that when, when the judgment day comes, the people of Nineveh are going to stand up and say, we turned. Jonah, Jonah was stubborn and mean and he smelled, you know. You had Jesus, and you wouldn't turn for Jesus. Jesus said something greater than Jonah was here. I mean, he's, he fed the 5,000. He fed the 4,000. He walked on water. He healed countless numbers of people. The demons cried out in agony before him, and he freed people from bondage. He raised the dead on more than one occasion, and uh, the people wouldn't turn. And Jesus said, don't you realize what's standing in your midst? And the people of Nineveh turned in one day of preaching just caused this ripple effect. And, and Jesus is three years I've worked with you. Three years I've called out to you. So maybe it, it has an addition to what I said. It's not just when God gets involved. It's also that people have free will. That people have free will. And, and Jonah, is, as vile as he was, was brought to a group of people whose hearts were sensitive somehow towards the Lord God. And they repented. It is interesting that Matthew 4.17 says this is a key part of the message that Jesus himself preached. And Matthew 4.17 it says, From that time Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, you know, i got to say that, you know, usually when you hear the word repent, there's a, a negative connotation to it. Maybe not in your mind, but I think honestly in a lot of people's minds. You know, if I said, hey, next week I'm going to talk on repentance. I'm going to preach repent. You would almost expect this kind of uh, attacking kind of thing. And, and maybe it is a little. Maybe there is some conviction to it. But the reality is it's the most gracious word imaginable. The most loving words you could possibly hear. Uh, hold on to Jonah if you haven't and turn over to Zechariah chapter 1. And look what it says here. Jeremiah is going to use a similar term. The, the same Hebrew thought, instead of the word repent, it's return. And look what it says in chapter 1, verse 1. In the eighth month of the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah, the prophet, the son of Berechiah, the son of Edo, saying, the Lord was very angry with your fathers. Now, really quickly, I think it is worth noting the word very and the word angry in the Hebrew are the word he was angry, and the next word is he was burning hot. One word is a Hebrew word, the anger. I'm angry. I'm, anger's welling up within me. And the next word's a word for angry that I'm not, I've reached a state, I'm burning hot. He goes, I was angry, angry with your fathers. God says, I looked at your fathers and I was burning angry with them. He says, therefore, say to them, thus says the Lord of hosts, return to me, declares the Lord of hosts, that I may return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Do not be like your fathers to whom the former prophets saying, thus says the Lord of hosts, return now from your evil ways and from your evil deeds. But they did not listen or give heed to me, declares the Lord. Your fathers, where are they now? And the prophets, even those faithful prophets, they're dead. They don't live forever. Verse six, but did not my words and my statutes which I commanded my servants and the prophets overtake your fathers? Then, then they repented and said to the Lord as the Lord of hosts purposed to do to us according to in accordance with your, all our ways and our deeds, so he has dealt with us. They repented. Uh, uh, Zechariah is standing before a huge multitude of people and he brings one message. Return to God. Turn from your evil ways. Turn from your evil deeds. And they turn. 
And the idea of this word return, the idea of the word repent, you know what God is saying? God goes, I, I do get angry at what you do sometimes. I get very angry at what you do sometimes. And you know what I do when I get angry? I say, would you repent? Would you return? Because I'm going to give you a chance to do that. I'm going to give you a chance to be forgiven. It's the most gracious thing possible. God says, I could judge. I could attack. If you don't choose to return, you don't choose to repent. You don't choose to do what Jesus said to the woman who was caught in the act of adultery, go and sin no more. If you don't choose that, well, then there is judgment coming and and God's word will stand true and people will have to go through that. But but he says, you know, it's not what I want to do. I, uh, I, I'm calling out return, repent. When you blow it, when you mess up, you know what the Holy Spirit screams in your heart? Come back to God. When uh, uh, a friend of yours blows it and messes up, God says, i just calling out for them to come back. And uh, you know what is any good parent, that's how they are. I uh, sat with a mom one time whose teenage son had become incredibly rebellious. Finally, he just had a major explosion. And that night, he stole everything uh, that he could get his hands on of value in the home, and he ran away from home. And uh, the next day, I get a call from her, and she is crying and crying. And you know what she was saying? I don't know where he is. I'm afraid for his safety. I don't know what's going to happen. Can we pray that we'll find him? We're calling everybody we can. You know, a week later, he hasn't returned. And she says, I'm more distraught than ever. She came to church on a particular Sunday night. We gathered people and sat. And we started to pray. And she starts crying and crying and crying over a son who stole from her. Who had spoken mean-spirited things. Who had time and time again been rebellious. But what was the mother's heart saying? I wish he would come home. And I, I sat there and as I listened to her, I thought, that's how God feels. God says, I just wish you'd, you'd come. And, and the people of Nineveh do. The people of Jerusalem do. And, and, and that's something else that just amazes me in all this. They do. By the way, look down again at chapter 3 of verse 10. It says, when God saw their deeds... That they turned from their wicked way. Then God relented concerning the calamity which he had declared that he would bring upon them. And he did not do it. God said, ah, this is what I wanted. Now chapter 4 verse 1. But it greatly displeased Jonah and he became very angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, please Lord. Was not this what I said while I was still in my own country? Therefore, now this blows my mind that he would actually say this to God. Maybe this is his honesty just pouring out. Therefore... In order to forestall this, I fled to Tarshish, for I knew you're a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, and abundant loving kindness, and one who relents concerning calamity. Now, he said, I knew you would do it. I, I knew that the, all the city, 120,000 people would repent. I knew it. Now, that, that's again where I want to stop and have you think through something with me, and I don't know about you, but there's, you know, we've asked us all to have a faith five, right? You know, and, and I hope you do. I hope you have at least five people you're praying and passionately praying would come to know Christ. But, but let me have you think about this. I, I want to just, uh, let, let me tell you me. This may not be you. But do you ever give up on people? Is there ever somebody you're trying to share Christ with and you're like, they're never going to come? And someone says, let's pray for them. And your first attitude is, Why? They're never going to do it. And, and I've started thinking this through. You know, clearly that's not right. And clearly they have a free will. And we should never give up. But, but I got to tell you, sometimes I just am like, I don't, I don't ever see that possible. 
Well, well, you ready for this? Now, now have you caught, I, I don't know if you caught this. I don't know if you grabbed it, and maybe it's not going to get you, but this gets me. We're not talking about a person. We're talking about a whole city converting. What if we said, we're not going to have a fave five person. We're going to pray for five cities in Southern California to completely repent 100% of the people and to come to know Christ, and they'll be Christian cities. Now, now, are there some of you here that would get honest enough to say, okay, we'll pray for it, but it's not going to happen. No, no, do we ever think about a city repenting? I mean, this is all, Corona is just a little bit bigger. So let's say Norco. What if Norco became completely Christian? We prayed for Norco. The, 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 every man, every woman, the horses. And, uh, you know. <laughs> what I was thinking about is how many times do we pray for a city to totally repent? And actually, not just pray for it, we're like Jonah, it's going to happen. God's going to show compassion on a whole city. He did it to Jerusalem. As a matter of fact, if you start reading the scriptures, and this is what's been grabbing me, the majority of the times that prophets were sent, they were sent to cities and countries for a total conversion of a city and a country. You see, I'm not saying it's wrong to pray for a person, but do you catch how God's view might be just a little bit bigger? I mean, think about that. I, I probably am going to say the wrong thing, so go ahead and get ready for this. And if you'd like to email, you, it's uh, Tony at CrossroadsChurch.com. Uh, but, but you ready? Okay. What about the state of California? Now, okay, here, that's not, you're going, oh, that wasn't really, that wasn't sensitive. Okay, here you go. What difference is there between the state of California and the city of Sodom? I'm not sure there's much. You know, I'm even thinking about doing a sermon series that we could put out there on the street, Welcome to Sodom, and talk about how the state of California and Sodom, is there really that much difference between the state of California and Sodom when you read about it? And by the way, the sins of sexual immorality are not only embraced in this state, they're legislated now. The, the destruction of children's lives, we lead the, the United States in abortion, uh, and we think that's a wonderful thing. And, and people proclaim that as a sign of, of goodness. We uh, attack abstinence-only training because we say that we shouldn't expect young 14-year-old girls to not have sex. So what we'd rather do is show them how to do it safely, and we're going to leave it to a 14-year-old to decide when they're ready. By the way, I know the 14-year-olds won't like me saying this, but that's crazy. We tell you you're not ready to drive, but you're ready to have sex? Uh, how about this? We're horrible at caring for the poor. In the book of Jeremiah, one of the great things that God condemned Sodom for is they did not care for the least of these. You know, you might go, well, no, no, wait a minute. No, is there really any difference between the state of California and the city of Sodom? And, and if we got real honest, if we really try to get close to God, aren't, don't you feel a little bit lot, like Lot sometimes? It's this Lot's soul was tortured by what he saw. Have you, have you, haven't you turned on the TV and a TV program comes on and they, they present sexual immorality and you're just, oh, man, I don't want to watch this. And they just throw it out there. By the way, in all hours, matter of fact, I was watching the ABC Family Channel. The, it's new, oh, I don't know, it's the Immoral Family Channel. And, uh, and, and it really is. And, and, and they, they always have characters on there that talk about, oh, if we just embrace this. And oh, those poor people. And, and, and you cringe inside going, Lord, this is just wrong. And uh, 
what we see happening, it just is embraced around us. Maybe the scary thing is how few Christian souls are tortured in our state. This is the part that I think you already got. That's why you might want to write emails. Um, I'm really bothered. I'm really wondering. And then I, I began to say, God, I'm so bothered by this. And, and I'm not saying that, that I'm more important than any of you. I, I asked God, God, I know you're bothered by it. And then I think the Lord started saying, but have you prayed for the state? Have you prayed for the whole state to be converted? Have you prayed for, for God? And, and, and I got to be honest, I'm like, well, that'll never happen. Well, that's the difference between me and Jonah. Jonah believed it could happen. Jonah's difference is, pray for the state? No, I want him to be judged. I'm moving to Arizona. You know, I'm going to the ends of the earth, you know, as far away as I can get from any realm of civilization, Tucson, Arizona. And, uh, and, and, and Jonah believed it could happen. He said, Lord, I, I knew you'd do this. And I thought, okay, do I know he'd do this? I mean, think about it. What, what if God reached down and grabbed our state, our country, our nation again? And we saw this happen. And, and you know what's interesting is the Lord says, if my people who are called by my name would humble themselves and pray, what's he say next? You already know. Then I would hear from heaven and I would heal their land. I would heal their land. And uh, you know what? As, I, as I've been studying and reading, the great call of God is for every single person. But what do you see happening more often than not is cities reached and nations changed and God moving. And I think that we've got to say, okay, God, this is your desire. This is your plan. That we would jump in on this and not, not doubt that God could do it, not give up on God for it. That's God's great desire. And, and then notice Jonah, though. Jonah doesn't have this attitude. He says, Lord, he goes, it greatly displeased Jonah. And he became so angry that they repented. And then in verse 3, he says this. He goes, therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for death is better than life. Could you imagine that? You know, I'm standing in church one night and I look over and here's this guy who's been writing those emails and attacking me and, and putting me down and I'm looking over going, oh, they're here tonight. And then all of a sudden they go forward and I'm like, oh, no, they went forward. And then I see them in the waters for baptistry and I sit over here going, God, just kill me now, God. <laughs> You'd go, what are you doing? I should be cheering. You know, and that's what he did. He goes, oh, just, I just wish I could die. Because I don't want that. I, they, I just knew it. And then the Lord does this in verse 4. The Lord said, do you have a good reason to be angry? I, I love that. Do you remember back in Genesis? Cain went and offered the wrong offering to God. But Abel offered the proper offering. And so what happened is Cain went and offered only an offering of thanksgiving. He didn't offer an offering for sin. He, he just gave the, the thank offering to God. And, and, and then what happened is Abel came before the Lord and he, he gave the blood offering of God asking for forgiveness. And it says God respected Abel's offering but not Cain's. And it says Cain's countenance fell. He became so angry it was visible on the outside. And, and what did God do to Cain? God looked at Cain and said, Genesis chapter four, he said, why are you angry? Do you have a right to be angry? And then he says, if you do well, will you not be accepted? Then I love this next line. But if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door and its desire is for you. Now, the reason I like that is that picture. 
It's kind of like sin, you know, is hiding in your house tonight when you go in. And you open the door and go to flip the lights and they don't come on. And sin is crouching, ready to try to just grab you, you know what I mean, and dive on you. And, and he says, that's what sin's doing. It's hiding behind that doorway, waiting to jump out and grab a hold of you. And the Lord says, if you do well. Now, here's the point. And, and by the way, uh, uh, in the um, uh, uh, John Steinbeck novel that talks about this, uh, he talks about East of Eden, it's called. He says that that just is the most mind-boggling thought ever to Steinbeck. So he wrote a book going around this idea that in the very, very beginning, God looked at Cain and said, you've got a choice. You have a choice. If you do well, your countenance will be lifted. If you do well, you'll be accepted. If you do, God looks at Cain and says, you've got an option here, Cain. But you could do the wrong thing. And, and Steinbeck, in talking about this, said that it's kind of amazing. This is one of the, the great graces of God that we have choice. And God is looking at Jonah and he's saying, do you really have a good reason to be angry? Do you really have a good reason to be so upset? I'm going to throw out a, just a guess, and this is obviously not scientific. I think about 95% of the time, I don't have any good reason to be angry when I get angry. You know, I really don't think I do. Oh, the cable went out again. Man, I'm so mad. I'm, oh, my life is ruined. Kill me now, God, you know. <laughs> you know, like I can't pick up a book, you know. I, I can't, you know, spend more time with my wife talking. I can't go for a walk. <laughs> no, I'm not going to do that part. You know, I might get exercise and lose weight. Uh, you know, how many times do we just do that? Now, notice what happens next, because I don't want to miss it. It says in verse 5, Then Jonah went out from the city, and I think he just got mad at God and walked away, didn't want to answer. Then Jonah went out from the city and sat east of it, and there he made a shelter for himself and sat under it, the shade, until he could see what would happen in the city. <laughs> Do you know what he's doing? He's sitting there going, please kill him. Please kill him. Come on, God. I know they said they repented. I'm just going to sit and wait and hope you kill them all. Can you imagine? This is a prophet. And then it says in verse 6, So the Lord appointed a plant. And it grew up over Jonah to be a shade over his head and deliver him from the discomfort. And Jonah was extremely happy about the plant. But God appointed a worm, and when dawn came the next day, it attacked the plant, and it withered. And when the sun came up, now don't miss this, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on Jonah's head so that he became faint and begged with all his soul to die saying, death is better for me than life. I just, I don't know. I think it's funnier than you do. And uh, God, verse 9 says, do you have a good reason to be angry about the plan? And he said, I have a good e reason to be angry, even to death. And uh, the Lord said to him, you had compassion on a plant for which you did not work, which you did not cause to grow, which came up overnight and perished overnight. Should I not have had compassion on Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know the difference between their right hand and left, as well as many animals? He said, you care about a plant, and I care about people. You didn't do anything to create that plant. Every one of those people I, I was a creator of, and I'm, they're precious to me. Do you really have a right to have that kind of an attitude? Now, before we leave this, let me hit what I think is to me the most important part for me. Maybe not for you. Again, I'll let you wrestle this through. Did you see what God did? Jonah's in discomfort, and God put an area of comfort in his life. He caused a plant to grow. It was directly God looking at Jonah saying, I give him a plant. And the plant grew. And God says, now let him really enjoy it. And as soon as he really enjoys it, I'm going to send a worm to kill the plant. 
And he's like, ah, the plant's dead. I love that plant. And, and, And God said, yeah, I gave you the plant, but now I'm taking away. The Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. And then God sent a scorching east wind. And Jonah's like, ah, and his character is just brought out and revealed in an amazing way. Here's where I'm going. I think that too often there's a temptation on our part who know God to credit the enemy with something God's doing. I could see Jonah standing up and going, oh, the east wind's from the devil, but it wouldn't have been, would it? Do you ever think that, you know, all of a sudden things are going wrong around you and you go, oh, I'm under attack, and God goes, no, you're not. It's me. I'm doing this in your life. God, I think, without a doubt, at times does to us what he did to Jonah. He sends the scorching wind. He causes things not to work. He, 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 I really believe God causes things to break down. I, I think that God stalls you from where you're headed. You're like so much in a hurry. And have you ever had this happen? Now, I know that this maybe is reading too much into it, but let's think it through. Have you ever thought, oh, I'm late, I'm frustrated. You get in a car and you start to drive and someone pulls over right in front of you and slows down. Have you ever had that happen? And you're like, there's a whole road out there. Why'd you choose me? Have you ever had that happen? I'm not so sure. I'm really not so sure that God doesn't go, get someone in front of him. And you're like, oh, kill me now, God. You know, I mean, that's, but the problem is most of us don't do that. We're going, kill him, you know. And, and God looks and says, I, I, it's me. See, this is the point I want to get. I really believe that God loves nations and states and cities. And I think God can convert them. I, I think I'm more convinced than ever we've got to start having that view of God. But I also believe that God cares about an individual. At the end of Proverbs chapter 3, it says that God wants to be intimate with you. The word intimate is there. He wants to share secrets with you. And I think sometimes God whispers in my ear and says, Chuck, you're not as patient as you think you are. You, you don't handle things as well as you think they do. Because you know what? You want to get home tonight, and I'm just going to put a, an elderly woman in a car in front of you, and she's going to go the speed limit. And I scream, no, not the speed limit. <laughs> Who wants to go the speed limit? And she's going the speed limit. And I'm like, ah, and I'm stuck on the 71. And a truck's on my left, and I can't get, and I think God's going, just relax. And I want you just to learn. And and believe it or not, some of you are going, I, Chuck, do you really believe that about you? And the answer is yes, which shows me that, see, many of you can handle other things bigger than me because that's all God has to do to get me. And, and, and it's, I really think God's saying, just learn to let go. Learn to relax. And uh, a few years ago, my eyes were open to this in a pretty heavy way. Um, a friend of mine's daughter was, was killed. And... He and his wife went through, I mean, the depths of despair. Uh, it ended up bringing them to Christ. But, but my friend Lee was telling me that uh, what happened is he got in his car and was driving from USC Medical Center with his wife next to him, and they had just lost their daughter. And they didn't even know what direction, what freeway to get on, how to get on. I mean, they were just so overwhelmed by it all. And they're starting to drive, and he said he just saw people were coming up on him and honking their horns and flashing their lights. And, and he's like, he goes, I just can't bear to go any. And it just, he felt like each person was just hitting him in the gut. And I thought, how many times do I drive down the road not even concerned what that person's going through? 
ahead of me because I'm only concerned about me. Now, I don't know what they're feeling. Maybe they just like going slow. Maybe they're on their cell phone and not supposed to be. Maybe they've just suffered an amazing, painful loss. Maybe they're at the place they can't get another ticket and they're doing everything they can to avoid it and we're running them over to push them. I don't know, but I just wonder, you know, if we knew. And maybe here's my point. Forget about we. Let's go, if I cared enough not to see them as a nameless person in a car, but as someone that God loves intently and dearly. And if I would look at life and say, God, are you slowing me down? God, are you sending a scorching east wind? God, are you causing me to open my eyes to something? Is it really okay that I get angry over what I get angry? And you know, here's the the best point of all. Not only does God love cities and nations and God love individuals and do things in our life, he never gives up. He didn't give up on Jonah. I, I mean, I don't know about you, but wouldn't there be a, be a temptation to say, Jonah, you're sitting there watching the city and praying it will die. I'll just kill you. See how you like it. I mean, he, he didn't do that. He said, Jonah, do you really have a reason to be angry? It never says what Jonah's answer was at the end. I don't know. Did Jonah finally go, I get it now. God nothing tell us, and we won't know till we get to heaven. But what we do know is, do we get it? Do we get it? That God is that intimate, that God is that compassionate, that God is that powerful, that God works things out in such amazing ways. Do we get it? And uh, tonight, what I want to say is this, is that if you aren't in a situation where God is ready to move and speak intimately, we want you to have that. If you're not close to God right now, let me tell you what God is saying to you. God's saying, repent. It means to turn around and come to him. Repent. Now, how do you do that? The Bible is very obvious. It it just says, you tell God these words. You say, I'm ready to give my life to you. I'm ready to surrender myself to you. And uh, then the Lord takes you and he goes, come to me. And he loves you and he cleanses you and he causes you to be his child. And he takes you into a whole new life. So when Jesus went around saying, repent, repent, it wasn't an attack. It was come, turn your life around. Come the other way. Come and be who I've always made you to be and come and live the life I have for you to live. And then for others, the Lord's saying these words, this word, return. You used to be with me. You used to follow me. Return. Come back. And, and both are cries of love and their love for people God cares about and wants to be close to. Tonight, if you need to repent, I'm going to ask you in a moment to pray a prayer with me right where you're sitting. Just whisper words and, and have you think about them and mean them where you say, I want to commit my life to the Lord. Tonight, if you used to be close to God and for some reason you're not, I'm going to ask you to return. And what you're going to do is is to get back to where you were. You're going to say that prayer again, not to become a Christian again, but to say to the Lord, this is how I began, and this is a a time to restart, and and I want to say it again, and I mean it, and and I need it. So tonight, uh, if God touches you in a moment, I'll ask you also to pray that prayer. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, forgive my lack of faith, because I know that no person is beyond your grace and mercy. 
And I never want to give up. Father, forgive my lack of faith because no city is beyond your reaching. And so when you look at Corona and Norco and you look at Riverside, Lord, we pray for our cities. We pray for Elsinore. We pray for this area. That, Lord, that this area would be one to you. And that, God, an amazing time of revival would happen that would go beyond any one church. We would just see, Lord, uh, a movement happening and, and people coming to find your love and compassion and, and leaving ways that are wrong and misguided and misdirected. Father, I pray for a state. Let the state of California be a golden light that shines to the rest of the world that embraces the true view of life that you've called us to. May it be a place of compassion and morality. May it be a place, Lord, that people get shocked at in these last days because such a revival takes place and it starts from the, the people who are struggling to make life in this country from their very beginning of being here all the way, Lord, to the highest heights of government and and. And wealth, and that that echoes throughout the industries that are here. And God, may it have a ripple effect in these last days to see the last person come to know you. And I pray for our nation. May this country, Lord, stand again for the rights of those who are not cared for. May it be a place that stands for what's right and what's true. May we understand that we are to be one nation under God. And I pray that, Lord, we would see an amazing revival occur in these last days. And I don't want to have a lack of faith that this wouldn't happen. God, I believe that you can cause the most unlikely things to occur. But Father, right now, even more, I ask for your Holy Spirit to come in this room. And Lord, may there be a man or a woman, a guy or a girl here, who would want to repent. And right where they're sitting, they would want to turn their life over to you and they would want to be loved by you and they would want to live the way they were meant to live and be who they were meant to be. And I ask that your Holy Spirit touch them now. Father, I pray for some tonight to return. And I pray that they would see, Lord, that you call out for them to stop turning their back on you or stop just kind of wandering away or, or sitting in a place of apathy. But now it's time to come home, to be loved, and Lord, to be revived. So we pray tonight that if there's someone here who needs to do that, that they would know this is their time. I'm going to ask that we keep praying. And if you're right with the Lord, would you pray for anybody who needs to commit to Christ or recommit? But tonight I'm going to lead a prayer. I do this every week. And I'm going to ask you tonight, if you're ready to commit your life to Christ or you're ready to re recommit, I'm going to ask you right where you're sitting to whisper this prayer with me. And I'll pray a line and stop and let you whisper it. But I'd like to know if God is calling anybody tonight to pray this prayer. And if he is, if you're ready to say yes to him, if you're ready to whisper these words, would you let me know you're going to do it with me by lifting your hand in the air and then after that you can put it down. Praise God. That's awesome. Praise the Lord. And right back here, praise God. And way over there, praise the Lord. Well, for each one, and praise the Lord for you too, man. That's awesome. And the reason I'm asking you is because it does help me. And every one of you, uh, it's so exciting you're doing this. Anybody else tonight I haven't seen yet, just lift your hand where I can see you. Wow, praise God for you. Praise the Lord. Wow, this is so exciting. It really is. Every one of you that God's touching, let's just pray this prayer together. Just say this to the Lord. Say, Lord Jesus, I know you love me. 
And I know you died on the cross to forgive me of all my sins, to cleanse me completely, to make me new and alive, to draw me so close that I become a child of God. So I say yes. And I love you for what you did and what you're doing. And I open my heart to you. And I ask that you fill me with your love and fill me with your spirit. And help me, Lord, to be who you always made me to be and to live the life that you've always had for me to live. I'm yours. And I say this in Jesus' name. Amen.